Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, October the 5th. I almost said the 10th, but it's 10th month, 5th day on the old computer, so I didn't get that wrong. But it is October the 5th, it is a Thursday, and we have some interesting stories to talk about today. We're going to do another one of our NHL divisional previews. It's the Central Division today, which, pretty tight division. There might be a few teams that I prefer over the rest, but could there be playoff teams that sneak through? Absolutely. I think it's an interesting division. We will discuss that in length. Towards the back end of the show, we will preview Thursday Night Football. Not a great game, but we'll talk about the line. We'll talk about some news out of New England that they've made over the last 24 hours with trades, injuries, some tough breaks for the Patriots. But we got to start with baseball. And before we get to the Blue Jays and their bad decisions and numbers and analytics. And before I dive into all of that, Major League Baseball is pissed today. Pissed. And here's why. They don't get any Game 3s in their Wild Card Series. No Game 3s today. Meaning there's no baseball today. No baseball tomorrow. And the Divisional Series starts on Saturday. And you think, well, that's a good thing. It's on the weekend. Well, it would be if there wasn't college football on Saturday, which, again, if you're in Canada, you might think, well, that doesn't really matter. It's college football. Who watches it? Well, a lot of Americans. And then you have games on Sunday, and the NFL is king. So for viewership, for people that care, it's not top of mind. And then... Just a Thursday, a bad Thursday night football game tonight that we'll talk about. This is your time to swoop up ratings, to have baseball. The playoffs have been very good. I enjoyed it the last two nights. Very entertaining. But Rob Manfred and the people inside Baseball Ops are pissed today. No game threes. All sweeps. I believe for the most part, that people that work in baseball or in hockey or in football, the major sports, Goodell, Bettman, Manfred, they don't care who wins the World Series. They really don't because what they want is their league to succeed and they want teams to make money, which keeps them employed, which makes them an absurd amount of money. But for Major League Baseball, not to have the Yankees, not to have the Mets, and then not to have any wild card games, that's tough. And you look ahead and you see the Twins, the, the Diamondbacks. It's not the greatest draw for Major League Baseball, but the, the thing they're most irritated about is not having games today. No programming. ESPN doesn't get programming. But that's the way it works. I thought all all three series would go three games, and I was wrong about all four. I picked two of the four correct winners. I had the Phillies, and I had the Rangers winning. I was right about those. I was wrong about the Blue Jays, obviously, and 
the Diamondbacks, which I almost I should have wanted to take them, and I didn't. Went against my better judgment. But we're a couple days away from the NHL starting. And then hockey will take top spot here in Canada for the most part. So the Blue Jays had a few days to grab people's attention and to make people, make their fans actually like this team. Because I think if you're a Blue Jays fan, if you like baseball, you've hated the Blue Jays for a while because they put a product on the field that isn't very good, quite frankly. They don't hit. They don't steal bases. They make strange pitching decisions. And they their whole strategy for the Toronto Blue Jays is based off graphs, based off calculators, based off things that aren't just in the game. And that came full circle yesterday. Full circle. If you didn't watch the game, or you didn't watch SportsCenter, or you're living under a rock, Jose Barrios started the game yesterday for the Toronto Blue Jays. Former member of the Minnesota Twins. Doesn't speak great English, but he was interviewed Tuesday during the game, and he said it felt like he was at home. Felt good to be in Minnesota. A place where he played, where they had not won a playoff game in 19 years. But now he's on the Blue Jays. He pitches three innings of just a complete gem. Six strikeouts. Nobody can get a read of him. He's dialed in. Bottom of the fourth inning. Scoreless ball game. He walks Royce Lewis on a 3-2 count. As the Blue Jays did basically every every at-bat yesterday. They were scared of him after the production he gave on Tuesday afternoon. And John Schneider comes to the mound. And I saw Kikuchi up in the third inning. And I said, what's happening here? He had 47 pitches. He was dealing. Okay, he walks a batter. That doesn't mean it's necessary panic mode. But John Schneider comes out. And removes Jose Barrios from the game. After the game, we learned this was the plan all along. John Schneider said, we had multiple plans going into the game. Multiple ideas of what we wanted to do. That's mistake number one for me. Mike Tyson Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. You cannot predict sports. That's what makes it the most popular product in the world, other than maybe Amazon. But 27 million people watched a shitty Sunday night football game between the Jets and the Chiefs because pro sports is king. It's one of the few things that we as a society still need to watch live. For me, Survivor, the only other thing. Watched it last night, an hour and a half, loved it. Other than that, that's what we watch live, pro sports. And there's athletes, and there's drama, and you don't know what's going to happen, and we're, we're bought in. Trying to predict an unpredictable outcome is stupidity 101. You can have a plan to say, 
Swanson's going to pitch the seventh, then Hicks will pitch the eighth, and Romano will pitch the ninth. That is a plan that absolutely can happen. If we are in this position in the game, you are hedging. You are you're predicting the future outcome of the game, which I have no problem with because you need to know who's in certain spots. Players need to know their roles. That's fine. But what they did is planning for this situation, this exact situation. You're in a scoreless ball game, and no matter how the guy's pitching, no matter if he's striking out six of the nine batters that he had faced, he's dealing, he's confident, he's pitching in his old ballpark, he's feeling it. No matter how he looks, good, bad, or indifferent, we are removing him from the game. This is where analytics and graphs and nerd bullshit ruin sports. Alex Anthopoulos was a guy who went with his gut. He said, we need this player. I'm going to trade for him. I'll sell the farm. Give me Tulowitzki. Give me David Price. And yeah, they might have not have won, but they got fucking farther than the Blue Jays ever have with Atkins and Shapiro. They haven't won a playoff game in their tenure. And it's all based on this nerd, on this analytics. I'm fine with analytics. Okay. The pitcher isn't as good facing the guy third time through the order. Okay. Those stats are out there. They happen. He hits better against lefty. Let's pinch hit. Use all those. Sure. Defensive guy always better in left field than right. Go ahead. But there's something about using your gut. That analytics that numbers can't quantify. And I can't imagine what it was like for Jose Barrios in that game yesterday to be pulled after 47 pitches and for him to sit there and to cheer on his teammates after what transpired, he's a much better man than me because I would have snapped. I would have lost my mind and I can't imagine what it's like to be a player on the Toronto Blue Jays where regardless of how you're playing, regardless you are going to be pulled. Back in my day, when you weren't playing that well, you sat on the bench. You know why? Because you your play dictated it. Now you could be scoring five goals in a game. You could be tearing it up. No, we got to sit you down. You can only play these amount of minutes. You can only do this amount of work. Because our numbers said before the game, this is what the right choice is. These other teams are using analytics, trust me, but not to this degree, not to this level. This decision makes no sense. And I'm not even a Blue Jays fan, but just as a sports person, it's infuriating. I can't imagine rooting for this team because they're not a fun team at all, which we'll get to, but then you have these guys pull this kind of crap. It's a horrible existence. Horrible existence. At least if you're a Maple Leafs fan and a Blue Jays fan, at least the Maple Leafs play their best players down the stretch. Blue Jays, oh, we have our great pitcher on the mound. He's dealing. No, we got to get rid of him because our graph said he has to leave. GMAB. So he gets removed from the game. 
And I, like I said, Jose Barrios, the way he handled everything, class act, much better person than me. That doesn't take much. But the way he handled that and didn't freak out or punch a wall, good on him. Out comes Yusei Kikuchi. Here's the other thing. You're pulling Barrios to put in Kikuchi, who's coming out of the bullpen. He has not pitched out of the bullpen one time all season. He's a starting pitcher. So you're putting a guy who isn't used to the circumstance into a circumstance where a guy's on first, and he's not used to this. So, of course, Kikuchi gives up a hit, gives up a walk, Correa singles, and then they get a fielder's choice. It's 2 nothing. Wasn't Kikuchi's fault. Wasn't Kikuchi's fault. And we'll get to the other miscues, but I want to stick just to the pitching ones first. Because the Toronto Blue Jays had eight innings in this series pitched by their bullpen. They did not give up an earned run. I'm not counting Kikuchi. He did come up to the bullpen, but he's a starting pitcher. If you just look at bullpen... They did not have a bullpen arm give up an earned run in the series in eight innings. So they did their job. They don't score any runs yesterday, so they're going to be, well, they'd lose anyway. Okay. But it's still a stupid decision. The bats still suck. Don't get me wrong. We'll get there. And they make stupid mistakes, and a lot of bad things happen to this team. But they lose 2-0, and you give up those two runs in the fourth inning. That's what you look at. Then we get to the fifth. Bases loaded for the Blue Jays. They have some momentum. There might have been second and third, because bases might not have been loaded. Yeah, second and third, because Bichette was up. Pardon me. Boba Shed up to the plate. Sonny Gray up to, I think he's at 87 pitches. You're starting to see how long he's going to be able to go. 3 2 count. And Carlos Correa, Sonny Gray, dial it up. Correa runs in behind Vladdy. They get the tag on him to end the inning. 3-2, two, two outs. Bichette was 2-for-2 two two in his first two at-bats. A mistake that just can't happen. A team that struggles to score runs. You have your best batter at the plate. Bichette batted over 300 for the season. Had his best season yet as a major leaguer. This is why Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can't be taken seriously, because he doesn't take the game seriously enough, in my opinion. It's laissez-faire, too casual, too many jokes. And that might be harsh, but in this situation, he was not aware. He did not see Correa coming, and Correa tagged him. It just can't happen in that moment. You have your best batter. If he singles, you score two runs, the game's tied, who knows where it goes. But the inning ends on that stupid blunder. Incredible play from Sonny Gray and Carlos Correa. And Carlos Correa was the best player in the series, if you ask me. 
His defensive plays, that one, the play he made to gun Bichette out at home. He made a throw on the to first yesterday on the run. Just the way he can track the ball is impeccable. That's why he's a multiple-time World Series champion. His bat might not be as good as it once was because of injuries, but his he's a stud. But but it just can't happen. Then the rest of the game, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. doesn't get a hit. Nothing happens. Makes a bit of a blunder at first base. So that was in the fifth. Then in the sixth inning, Matt Chapman up at the plate, bases loaded. He grounded into a double play. <laughs> he was useless. He was useless the, since about May. Because then in the eighth inning, he had another a bad, just struck out. But in, in a situation, he could have had some momentum. He strikes out. But look at the bats they expected the most out of. Vladdy. Springer. Bichette. Chapman was a big addition. And he might be a great third baseman, but he can't hit worth a lick. That Varsho trade was absolutely a loss. I predicted it would not be a great trade. I remember at the time people were singing its praises. All I know is the Diamondbacks won and Gabriel Moreno scored the game-winning RBI in Game 1 and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. had a two-out, two-RBI hit last night. Dalton Varsho laid down a sack bunt. That's what, he, that's what he provided in this series for the Blue Jays. And he was their last batter of the season striking out against uh, Durant. So going through all of that, a game filled with mistakes, filled with opportunities, and yet nothing happens, nothing positive for the Blue Jays. And it's absolutely a failure of a season. You don't win your division. You finish third in your division. And you score one run in two playoff games. Flatty Jr. stats dropped by a quarter mile. You're one of the most frustrating teams to watch in all of baseball because you never knew what you're going to get. And now the Blue Jays are tied with the Rays with seven straight playoff losses, which is the longest active streak in baseball. Like I said, in the Akin Shapiro era, they have not won a playoff game, they have not won a division title. Six straight wildcard series losses without a win in them. Something's wrong with that pitcher. And as I say that, I don't expect changes. I don't think Mark Shapiro is going to fire Ross Atkins. They were a pair. They worked together in Cleveland. They came here together. And they clearly believe what they're, what they're doing is going to work. I don't. I think their product sucks. But that's the hill they're dying on, and they're paired together. That's not how it works. They can fire John Schneider, sure. But I don't believe John Schneider makes any of these decisions. He didn't want to pull Burrios from the game. That was coming from up top. It was a plan before the game 
that they all made together in some war room trying to break the outcome of an unpredictable sport. So if they fire Schneider, it's like they fired Montoyo. You have the same guy. It's just another puppet to do what you say. John Gibbons didn't work with this group because he wouldn't have done what they said. John Gibbons wasn't perfect, but at least he had some personality. He had his own way of doing things. This starting staff was good enough to get to a World Series. I said that before. So, uh, fire Pete Walker? What for? He had his best season as a Blue Jays pitching coach. But he's probably pissed his starter doesn't get to stay in the game, gets pulled in the goddamn fourth inning. Maybe he'll leave the team, look for a different opportunity with with a, a person that just has less goddamn just handcuffs on you of what you're able to do, what you're coaching. But I don't expect big changes. Maybe it comes via the players. Matt Chapman's a free agent, third base. He's not returning. I'd be stunned if he did. I think he's going to want big money. I don't think he's going to get it on the open market. Yes, he's a great defensive third baseman. But the way he way he swung the bat this year does not give you, I don't think there's any team confidence that he's going to be great. Jordan Hicks is a free agent. I think it'd be tough to see him return. They have their closer in Jordan Romano, so I think he moves on. Find the list of this summer. Because I don't think they're going to get many guys back. Hinjin Ryu, he's gone. Matt Chapman, I don't think returns. Brandon Belt, he had a good season. I think he retires, personally. Had a horrible playoff. Kevin Kiermeyer, I could see him returning. But he's going to be 34. Do you want a Springer-Kiermeyer outfield that's getting a little long in the tooth? I do think it's important for the Blue Jays to get another center fielder because Springer is not a center fielder anymore. So Kiermeyer could be that guy. Chad Green did not pitch till the end of the season. So, I, he's a good pitcher, but I think it's it's a team option. I think they'll, deny, they'll decline the option. If I had to predict it right now, I don't think he returns. And then there's Whit Merrifield, who's about to be 35. Had a very productive season as a Blue Jay. A lot of experience. Played in Kansas City for a long time. Here's what I think happens with him. He's gone 100%. Here's why. This is him after the game. This is via Mitch Bannon, who covers the Blue Jays. Whit Merrifield on Blue Jays taking Jose Barrios out early. I hated it, frankly. It's not what cost us the game. But it's, but it's the kind of baseball decisions that are taking away from managers in baseball at this stage of the game. That's as honest as a player is going to get. And he's absolutely right, and it has to be incredibly frustrating to be on that team and to say they, see the way they handle business. Just pure numbers, no gut feel, and you move on from there. 
So Whit Merrifield, while a good player, he'll remain a major leaguer. He'll get another contract somewhere. I don't think it'll be in Toronto, partly because of that. Same people are going to be running things here in, in Canada. And they don't want him back. And I'm sure he doesn't want to come back either, knowing the way they do business there. Seeing the way they handle situations. But a, a really, a season where you make the playoffs, it was a horrible season for the Blue Jays. Horrible playoff performance, embarrassing, the potpourri of errors. Just a tough way to go out. But they move on. The Minnesota Twins will now advance to play the Houston Astros. Their first playoff series win since 2004. That crowd was awesome for those two games. Loud into it. They were they were fantastic in the Twin Cities. So congratulations to Minnesota and held pitching performances from their starters. The other American League series, the Rangers sweep the Rays. The Rays have lost seven straight playoff games as well, tying the Blue Jays. I mean, the Rays just, they haven't scored a run in something like 35 innings in the postseason. You look around, you see Adolis Garcia, who can power the ball. Evan Carter, a guy I talked about, two-run homer in the fourth. Miscues by Manuel Margot, miscues by uh, Randy Arozarena. And the Rangers just had more firepower. Their starting pitching was phenomenal in the two games. And the Rays never threatened them. The Rays never provided any fear in either game. They knew that the game was coming. Nathan Avaldi, six and two-thirds, one and earn run, one earned run, eight strikeouts. He was great. But they save a lot of their arms out of their bullpen. Max Scherzer threw a bullpen session, so who knows if he'll be back. I doubt it, but there's always that chance. I think they'll go Dane Dunning in Game 1. They do have some rest days, but Dane Dunning Game 1. Then perhaps you go back to Jordan Montgomery in Game 2. Then you go to Evaldi in Game 3 which is a damn good setup for the Texas Rangers. But Seager's bat is on fire. Their pitching looks good. The bottom of their lineup is delivering. They head to Baltimore. And we'll preview every divisional series tomorrow. But I don't think they head into the series as a massive underdog. I think it's more of a pick em. If they didn't blow it the last couple of days, they would have won the the American League West, obviously the Baltimore Orioles win the American League East. Two extremely tough divisions. I expect a really great series, and the Rangers look great right now. Diamondbacks, Brewers. Zach Gallen started the game rough. 32 pitches in the first inning. Gives up two runs. 
Can you see Gabriel Moreno leave the game for the Diamondbacks with a concussion? So you're thinking, well, okay, this might be their night. We're going three games. Milwaukee's feeling it. Freddie Peralta through five was absolutely dealing. But then we get to the sixth inning. And it's the same guys at the top of the order for Arizona. Their best players came to play, and they were magnificent. Started with Cattell Marte with a single to center, scoring Perdomo and Corbin Carroll. Then Uribe threw a wild pitch, and like I said, Luis Gurriel Jr. with a single that put them ahead. But Zach Gallon went six innings. And they relied on Thompson, Ginkle, who have not allowed an earned run in the playoffs so far. And Paul Sewald gets the save. An emotional moment for him, saving game one and getting the save in game two. Milwaukee had the game last night, and I feel like Craig Council knew it. They've won that division, the National League Central, two of the last three years. And they haven't done a whole lot with it. This team's in a state of transition, if you will. An older team that still has some very good arms, so you're kind of deciding where's this team going. Josh Donaldson won't be back, but I thought he had a pretty good series. Carlos Santana's 37 years old as he continued to play baseball. Christian Yelich went 3-for-5 last night, batted 500 for the series. He did everything he could do. But ultimately, this Arizona team filled with young players, filled with names that you wouldn't expect to see be that productive, continue to be a great story. Corbin Carroll batted 571 for the series. Seven plate appearances, four hits, two walks. He's just a menace when he gets to the plate right now. And it's another divisional matchup with the Diamondbacks facing the Dodgers. Played a lot this season. The Dodgers are a banged up group. The best thing for the Diamondbacks, they don't have to go to game three. So Merrill Kelly, another one of their stud pitchers, will pitch game one against Clayton Kershaw. That kind of tells you where the Dodgers are. Clayton Kershaw is a great pitcher, but he should not be pitching in game one. He's not at that stage of his career. Zach Gallon will pitch game two against Bobby Miller. So the Diamondbacks can line up the rotation. They get their best players both to pitch in Chavez Ravine to give them their best chance of getting ahead in the series. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. But watching the Diamondbacks, I think that'll be a more competitive series than I initially thought. And then the Phillies sweep the Marlins, dominate them in both games. The Phillies are such the balanced team. And I've said this before, but I think the Phillies and the Braves are the two best teams in baseball, and they're playing each other in the NLDS. To me, the winner of that series will go on to win the World Series. I just look at the Phillies with their power, with their pitching. You can go to Bryce Castellanos, Rojas, who's incredibly fast on the base pass. 
Schwarber, who can hit a home run to, to the moon. Trey Turner, who's incredibly versatile. They just have set this team up so well. It did not work with Joe Girardi. They fired him at the midpoint of last season. They brought in Rocky Thompson. And since then, this team has been one of the best teams in baseball. And okay, you have to play in the wild card because you don't win a division because you're in a same division with the Braves who are doing dynastic things, who have Ronald Acuna Jr., who's the best player in the damn sport. And Matt Olson, who hits 54 home runs and 150 RBIs. And you have this series is going to be fantastic. If you could watch one, it's this one, in my opinion. Phillies Braves, Spencer Strider with his 20 wins, getting ready to play. Phillies haven't announced their game one starter yet. Be interesting to see because they don't have as much depth as maybe in past seasons. Spencer Strider goes game one for the Braves. Max Fried will go in game two against Zach Wheeler. But the Marlins were a great story. Most wins in one-run games in one season in the history of baseball. They made good deadline acquisitions that, yes, David Robertson had his best game last night, but Josh Bell was worth it. Jake Berger was worth it just to get them to this point. For a team like the Marlins to make the playoffs is fantastic. For them to make the playoffs in the same division with the Braves and the Phillies is quite incredible. Over, say, the Cubs, who get to, who got to play the Pirates the whole damn year, and you got to play the Reds and a bunch of teams that weren't that good. I give them credit for that. But when Bryson Stott hits a grand slam, when JT Romuto hits a big home run, Kyle Schwarber, you go through this lineup, they, they're they a death by a thousand paper cuts. And so are the Braves. They met last year in the NLDS, and the Phillies beat them in four games. We'll talk about it more tomorrow, but I can't wait to watch this series. It's going to be great theater. The best series out of the four. So we get two matchups of of teams in the same division. Phillies, Braves, Diamondbacks, Dodgers. That all starts on Saturday. We'll look at them all tomorrow. Let's get to the Central Division. Did the Atlantic on Tuesday. Metropolitan yesterday. We get to the Central Division today. Going through these teams, there's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of similarities between these teams, and it's hard to figure out who's who and what's what. The easiest one was to predict the team that I that will finish last in the Central Division. But yet the team that's going to finish last has intrigue, has interest, because they have the player that everybody wants to watch. And that's the Chicago Blackhawks with number one overall pick, Connor Bedard. He's been phenomenal so far through the preseason. He had four points the other night in a Blackhawks win. He joins this team following the Taves and Kane era. Three Stanley Cups. But he's their beacon of hope. The Blackhawks made the playoffs in the bubble without, does that even really count? 
They made it. They actually beat the Edmonton Oilers in a, in a series in the bubble. The bubble was such a joke. In real hockey, in non-Pfizer edition of the of the NHL, they have not made the postseason since 2017 when they were swept in the first round by the National Predators. Pardon me, 2016. It's been a minute. This this team has been off the rails, and they're not going to be great this year. But you have Connor Bedard. He's going to be dynamic. He's going to be good right away. Trust me. And it's not like he has nobody to play with. Chicago made a point to make this team at least tough and to present some names that you're going to know. They went out and signed Corey Perry to a one-year $4 million deal, much to a lot of people's chagrin. But it's a smart move because you want to lose games. You want to get another high pick. But Corey Perry will make the team physical. He's a great leader to start with Connor Bedard. He knows what it's like to be on a team that is good, isn't good. He's been through it all. So Corey Perry will start the year with Chicago. I think it will be a deadline trade to a, a contender. Corey Perry's a stud. Love him. Nick Foligno comes over. Obviously, he was in Boston last year. He's gone through his trials and tribulations. Former captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Another leader, another guy to present kind of the way for Connor Bedard. Another one-year, $4 million contract. You compete hard. You do all that stuff. I like these two ads. Taylor Hall in a salary dump from the Boston Bruins. Taylor Hall can still play. Is he the MVP, Taylor Hall? No. But can Connor Bedard and Taylor Hall put up some points this year? Absolutely. They can score some goals. They can create some creativity. And at least for Taylor Hall, you can look in the mirror and go, holy shit, I'm playing with the best kid in hockey. Not the best player, but I'm playing with this kid who's incredibly talented. Two first overall picks. So again, it's another guy that knows what it's like to step in, have that pressure. Taylor Hall had to do it in a Canadian market, which is tougher. But Chicago, there will be pressure because Chicago cares about hockey. They care about their sports passionately. And the Bears suck, the Bulls suck, and the Blackhawks suck. So it's not a fun time to be in Chicago, but at least you have Connor Bedard and Taylor Hall will help him produce some offense. They brought in Ryan Donato, who was a member of the Seattle Kraken last year. He's bounced around his NHL career. He's a solid ad. Rest of this group, Andreas Athanasiu. He's been there a few years. He's fast. He can score. Taylor Radish, Lucas Reichel, fun young player. I think he's still got something to bring. And then more veteran, more veterans like Tyler Johnson and Jason Dickinson. It's Bedard and a bunch of guys who are a little long in the tooth, who aren't at the top of their game anymore. And Chicago got Bedard last year. They want the top pick again this year. Plain and simple. You want to stockpile talent. You want to continue to find good players and build a a contender with Connor Bedard in the next two to three years. Because it's going to take that long. Because they don't have great talent right now. And they don't have a goaltender that you're totally excited about. So hopefully he, by the time Conor Bedard's at his absolute apex, you are providing a team that you look at and go, wow, 
we can win here. We can be competitive. On the back end, you get a veteran in Seth Jones, who I, I believe can still play. He's had some tough moments, but he's playing in Chicago. The team's no good around him. The team was not good defensively. That team they dressed last year was absolutely pathetic towards the end of the year. It was impossible to play well, and Seth Jones took the brunt of it. And this happens with Darnell Nurse in Edmonton, where he everybody says he's not, not a good player, and he's got everything wrong. He does nothing right, and it's wrong. It's a lazy argument. It's a stupid way to think, but a lot of people do it, basically on Twitter. Seth Jones is still a really good defenseman. I think Chicago will explore a trade for him this season if if teams are interested, which I would be. Yes, he's got a big cap hit. He's got a big contract, but he can still play. Look at Eric Carlson just got traded. Anything can happen in the NHL. Other than Seth, you have Connor Murphy, who's a veteran. Nikita Zaitsev, who's obviously a vet, who's been there a long time. Look at the names Wyatt Kayser and Kevin Chorsinski. Korczynski played for Team Canada at the World Juniors. I like the player a lot. Big, fast, moves the puck really well, and he'll be playing his first full season in the National Hockey League. I think he's going to make the team as a 20-year-old. He's still got some holes in his game. I think his off, providing offense needs to improve as he, as he continues to grow. But the way he skates as a defenseman, the way he closes off space is truly great. He will never be, I don't think he'll ever be viewed as a number one guy on a championship team. But could Chorsinski morph into the next edition of Jacob Slavin? Yes. Because I think his defensive instincts, I think his intelligence on the ice is what separates him from other prospects. Slavin's on the TSN top 50. He's not on the TSN top 50 because he's going to provide you 50 points. He's there because he's the human eraser, because he's smarter than most defensemen in the NHL, and he knows how to use that intelligence to his advantage. And I think Chorsinski has similar attributes, but I think just physically, and he's a better skater than Slavin. So he has all the potential to be great in the National Hockey League. Chicago has Peter Morazic and Arvid Soderblom as their starting netminders. Not a good team. Not a good team. But you look early in the season, and the NHL is doing something right for once. <laughs> it comes to their schedule. Blackhawks, Penguins, opening night. Love it. Smart. Wednesday, Blackhawks, Bruins. Smart again. Saturday, Blackhawks, Montreal Canadiens, smart. And then Blackhawks at Maple Leafs. The team's going to suck. It's going to have a bad record. It's not going to be good, right? But put them on before people realize how bad they are. Get them on the East Coast. Start them out in Pittsburgh. Start them out for these games. I agree with that with that strategy. Have Connor Bedard on full on uh, of uh, just everybody watch him play. Everybody will see him, everybody will know it. I like the strategy from the from the NHL on that. And I think he's must see TV. I can't wait to see him play. Pivot to another team who 
won't be competitive again, but I do think they're interesting adjacent. Arizona State University Coyotes. Why is Arizona interesting? Well, not because they'll be a great team, because they won't be. But Logan Cooley, who was taken third overall in last year's draft behind Slefovsky, just in front of one Shane Wright, was going to go back to University of Minnesota, then said, screw it, no, I'm going to go pro. So he's in the NHL, incredibly talented. Watched him live and in color many times over the last year and change. Looks looks like the real deal. I think he's going to be a good NHL player. A lot of talent. So Logan Cooley joins a group with Clayton Keller, Barrett Hayton, Dylan Gunther, another guy who's going to get, to get some looks. Lawson Kroos, who I think is he's an Lawson Kroos plays in Arizona. Nobody watches Arizona because they are, they're in an ugly rink and they play late at night. Lawson Kroos is one of the most underrated players in the league. If you ever get a chance, turn on an Arizona game and just watch Lawson Kroos. He's a big center. You might look at him and go, he doesn't skate that well. But his, he's smart. He's shifty in his own. He's a, he's a better finisher than people give him credit for. And I think a lot of teams in the NHL would take him because he's versatile and he provides such a service that many teams don't have. Yeah, I like, I like Lawson Crows. Fun player. But uh, Arizona also did a lot to add. Cooley comes. They add Jason Zucker from the Pittsburgh Penguins. He comes to Arizona. Much to much to the chagrin or lack thereof, Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Kerfoot comes over. He's no longer a Maple Leaf, so Kerfoot's now in Arizona. Travis Boyd, Matt Dumba didn't have a lot of options in free agency, so he takes a one-year deal with Arizona. They acquired Sean Dursey in a trade with the Los Angeles Kings. Good young defenseman. They signed Troy Stetcher, Josh Brown, Yusuf Valimaki, who did not play in the NHL last year, who's a good player. So this team has some young talent with Keller and Cooley, Schmaltz, Hayton, Gunther, Kraus to an extent. And a defense that is basically entirely new, other than J.J. Moser, there are five defensemen that are slated to start the season, did not play here last year. They just signed their coach to a three-year extension. Returned the same goaltending tandem in Carol Valmelka and Connor Ingram. Arizona won to be in the Connor Bedard sweet stakes. They missed out. They were too good. But Arizona's in this weird mode where this team is going to not be great, but they're not going to be terrible either. Because Velmelka is a great goaltender. He gives them some wins based, and they don't deserve it, but he just goes out there and balls out. He's fantastic. Keller's a very good player. I think Cooley's going to have a good rookie season. To watch Bedard, Cooley, they're both rookies in the same year. That's fun. Arizona won't be great. 
They'll take some games off of people that you don't necessarily expect. I expect towards the trade deadline that Vilmelka will be available. Teams will look at him and go, should we deal him? I talked about this before. Los Angeles, New Jersey, need goaltenders. If a team believes they can win a Stanley Cup, I would call Arizona. They may not want to part with him because I think he is a true number one. But again, if you're in this position where you have to build a new rank and you don't have stable ownership and you're not going to spend a whole lot of money because you don't have the money to spend, then you might decide to trade it off the books to get draft picks because that doesn't cost you anything. So Arizona, being an Arizona fan has to be tough because you know you're never spending to the cap. You know you're never really trying to win. You're just trying to put a decent product on the ice, but it really doesn't matter because you only can fit 500 people in your damn rank. A little more than that, but not much. A little 5,000-seat arena at Arizona State University, and they don't sell out of games. It's a sad state of affairs. But will they, will they relocate that team? No way. No way, because Gary Bettman loves it. Loves. Loves Arizona. Doesn't want to admit failure. Which I don't blame him, by the way. Who wants to admit failure? That's no fun. That's boring. But good luck. Arizona, I think we'll finish second from the bottom in the Central Division. Nashville Predators. Barry Trotz is the new GM. David Poyle is retired. Andrew Brunette is the new head coach. Sia John Hines. If you remember draft time, it looked like, hey, Nashville's going to tank. They're trading away their pieces. Johansson's gone. They've done a lot to remaneuver this team, selling off players. They finally get it. But then they go and sign Ryan O'Reilly to a four-year by $4.5 million contract. And I go, what? And they bring in Gus Nyquist and Dennis Gurionov and Luke Shen, all two multi-year deals. And I'm left puzzled because Johansson gets traded to Colorado and they buy out Matt Duchesne, who we'll talk about later. I didn't understand the thought process of signing veteran players, so we're still trying to be good, even though our team is not good enough to compete, isn't good enough to even compete for a playoff spot, in my opinion, in either the Eastern or Western conferences. But we're going to spend money regardless. So I disagree with Nashville's strategy. I don't know what this team is. I don't know what internally what their plans are. Most teams, it's easy to figure out. You look at it and go, okay, this is what they plan to do. Nashville, I had no idea. Philip Forsberg still signed long-term down there. But you look, Cody Glass is a youngster that they're hoping can produce, but that time might be running out for him. Philip Tomasino, fun player, good speed, good wrist shot, he can score. Luke Evangelista, 
two years ago might have been the best player in the Ontario Hockey League for the London Knights. Was called up at the tail end of last year, was a point-per-game player in the last 15 games of the season. He'll start this season with the big club. I think he's going to have a, a solid NHL career. Tommy Novak, Yakov Trenin. This team really doesn't have a number one center because Ryan O'Reilly is not that anymore. Cody Glass is their number two. I don't rely on him. You look, Roman Yossi's still on this team, but he's getting older every day. He's still a very good player. But I'm sure he's thinking, where's this team going? What are we trying to accomplish? You love UC Saros and Net, of course. He's one of the best goaltenders in hockey. But you're thinking, well, we can't win with this. It's a veteran back end. You have Roman Yossi, Ryan McDonough, who they took from Tampa Bay, Tyson Berry, Dante Fabro, Luke Shen. You have a lot of guys who have played 10-plus years in the NHL. So you have a veteran defense. You do have a very good goalie. But can you match the scoring? I don't think so. McDonough is a hard guy to trade because he's got a full no move, and he got to choose when he was traded from Tampa where he was going to go. Tyson Berry was stripped from Edmonton to Nashville last season in the Matias Ekholm deal. Don't he's going anywhere. Fabro's on a one-year contract. So Barry Trotz, I think he's still trying to figure out what he's doing here. What is this team? What's, what's our identity? I like their defense score. Up front, I do not. Saros is great when he wants to be. But I think this team's a little too old. I think this team's a little too talent deficient to compete at the highest level. To me, Nashville should have taken the Philly approach and just said, we are selling off. I know Danny Breer came up with a quote yesterday. It was a great quote. He said, we're not tanking. We're going to try to win every game, but we're aware of our situation. It's a perfect quote. He says everything without saying anything. He's basically saying we are tanking. We just can't say we're tanking because we'll get fined or people get upset. But that's what we're doing. We're aware that the team that we built isn't that good. I'd be fine with that from Nashville if you're not signing O'Reilly and Shen to multi-year deals that make it complicated when you finally want to win. This Nashville team, Nashville team feels like a bit like a nostalgia act. They can't really play anymore. You go and see the concert and you go, oh, that wasn't good. I kind of feel bad for seeing them do it. There are older performers that can just rock it out. Stevie Nicks, you go see her anytime. She's great. But when you go watch a, an older band, you go, oh, God. They, they just can't do it anymore. That's the Predators. They're in no man's land, which is the worst place to be in hockey. Be in, be out, don't be in the middle. Let's pivot to the Winnipeg Jets. So the first three teams, Nashville, Arizona, and Chicago, I'm confident they will be the three worst teams in the division. These next five, I feel like one team's above 
the other four, but they're interesting. I'm starting with Winnipeg because they buy out Blake Wheeler. They trade Pierre-Luc Dubois to the Los Angeles Kings. So clearly this team, you could say, is moving in a different direction. But they got a great haul for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I thought the trade was very well for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, Gabe Velarde, who's who can score with the best of them. Alex Ayafalo, who a player I really like. Winnipeg Jets fans, you're going to enjoy watching him. Rasmus Kupari, the player in the deal that has the most to prove, but also could have the highest upside. But you still have Hellebuck. You still have Shifley, both entering the last year of their contracts. Rick Bonus is still behind the bench. Kevin Chevaldeo has been the only GM in franchise history since returning from Atlanta. So you have decisions to make. Where is this team going? What's the plan? I think for Winnipeg, it's going to be a wait-and-see approach on how the season goes. And if they are not in a playoff position, if it doesn't look like they're going to make the postseason, then it, it's clear they have to trade Hellebuck and they have to trade Shifley because I don't expect either guy to return on a long-term deal. I'm not letting both guys walk for nothing. And quite frankly, for Winnipeg, and this is tough for Shovel Day Off, and it's tough for a fan base. If they're in a position in February, and they're like four points in, I would still look at trading those players because if you're four, just if you're just four points in, you're middling around, you're in a wild card spot, maybe you sneak your way into a top three in the Central. You're not going to win the Stanley Cup. In all likelihood, you're not because this team. You love Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley returns, Nick Ehlers, guys have been there forever. Sophomore season for Cole Perfetti, Nito Niederreiter, new captain Adam Lowry, Mason Appleton, Morgan Barron. You have talent, but it's not elite talent. It's You're, you're hoping this team and, and the young players will produce. You're hoping Gabe Velarde can be a 25-goal scorer this year. You're hoping Ayafalo could maybe get 40 points and be a really reliable winger on a second or a third line. You're hoping Nick Ehlers can stay healthy for five games. Hasn't been able to do that the last couple of years. Great when he's on the ice, but that's few and far between. Cole Perfetti, same thing. Banged up already in the preseason. I thought he looked really good as a rookie last year, but then again, you look and go, well, he's on the IR again. He's not available. So that's a problem. On the back end, Morrissey was Norris level last year. I think his game will dip. I can't see him having the same season. But it's the same defense. Morrissey, DeMello, Neil Pionk, Brendan Dillon, Dillon Sandberg, and Nate Schmidt. Same six defensemen that they had last year. It's not a big enough defense. It's not a, a defense that's hard enough to play against, in my mind. They played Vegas. And I thought, they'd, I thought they would beat Vegas, but Vegas just simply overpowered them. Vegas has forwards that are very tough to deal with, and there are teams like that in this division. Last season, they finished behind Minnesota. They finished behind Dallas because they just had a little more bite than the Winnipeg Jets do. So I think the Jets have a good team. They're a young team, something to grow on. 
They just have decisions to make. Do we want to try to make the postseason again like we did last year and lose those two players for nothing? Or decide at a point in this season with your gut, not based on analytics or graphs like the Blue Jays, that this is our best course of action? To trade away these players who've been here forever and begin a new path. Yes, we need we would need to find a new franchise goaltender. Tough. Yes, we'd have to find a new number one center. Tough. But if you're not winning with those players now, maybe it is time to make the change. The Canadian team hierarchy, I think Winnipeg's somewhere right in the middle. Edmonton one for me, Toronto two. Calgary or Ottawa, then I'd have Winnipeg. Probably Winnipeg's still above Vancouver, but maybe not. We'll talk about them soon. I don't believe they're going to be a playoff team, and I do think they'll sell off their assets. That's my prediction for their season. But they are intriguing because they, they get rid of Dubois, and they still have players that can produce and keep them competitive. St. Louis Blues, disaster of a season last year. O'Reilly traded to the Leafs, Sachari moved, Tarasenko traded at the deadline. They sold off their pieces. They waved the white flag, said we're having a disaster of a year. We can't come back and make the postseason. And they were the biggest surprise for me for how bad that team was last year. Well, what happens now? Well, Braden Shen's a new team captain. You had Kasperi Kapanen. Bring over Kevin Hayes from the Philadelphia Flyers. Jakob Verana comes over. We look around. Robert Thomas, Kairou, Braden Shen, Brandon Saad, Sammy Blay, Jake Neighbors, hopefully he can get into more games, Bushnevich. It's a similar team. Nick Letty, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Tori Krug, Scandella. All the same guys on the back end. And Bennington and Joel Hofer are the tandem between the pipes. Bennington was a complete loose cannon last season. Had no control, no composure. Taking penalties, ejected during games. Was a complete laughingstock at times. His behavior... And it wasn't a physical thing. It was just him completely being an asshole, quite frankly. I don't mind the team. I do think the Winnipeg Jets can be better than the St. Louis Blues this season. I love Robert Thomas. I think Kairou's incredibly dynamic. Pareko's still great on the back end. Falk. Tory Krug is going to be back, despite the fact that they wanted to trade him, so I'm sure that's awkward. But the team just is missing something for me. Thomas is a great player. Really good player. Really talented. Got some bite. I think he could have been a captain, but they give it to Shen because he's been there a long time, which I have no problem with, by the way. Robert Thomas, 
His career high is 77 points. Career high is 20 goals. Had 18 last year. And not everything is based off points for him because he does a lot of little things right as well. But I don't think St. Louis has a superstar. I think you could say Robert Thomas is a star player. I think that's fair. Cairo is a good player. Pareko's a good player. Falk's a good player. He had, he had a great year last year. Krug, eh, liability. I think this team will be competitive. Them being a team that could push for a postseason spot is based entirely on Jordan Bennington. I don't trust Jordan Bennington. I don't trust his mental state. I don't trust his play. There's nothing about him that I trust. So I think St. Louis expects a better season. I think they're selling that down there. But based on their team, I think they're going to be tough to play against. I think they're going to be a pain in the ass at times because they always are. Shen, Thomas, those guys, all the guys that play the sod too, they can get sticky with you. That's the Central Division, really. There's, that, it's never an easy night in the Central Division. That's 100% true. St. Louis and Winnipeg are very close to me. I like St. Louis more. I like their defense more than I like Winnipeg's. But I, like, I prefer Winnipeg's goaltending. Winnipeg has player, best, uh, better players up front, top to bottom to me, 1 to 12. I think they'll be neck and neck the entire year. They're very close in talent. I think they're both better than Nashville. But I, at the end of the day, I did the, the I prepared for the Pacific yesterday. I think one, if not two, Pacific teams are going to be wildcard teams. One for sure, but maybe two in that division. So Winnipeg or St. Louis will have to get in over them. I don't know if they will. Make all my playoff predictions next week, but I think it's a tough, tough hill to climb for the St. Louis Blues to get back in the postseason next year, uh, this year. To the Dallas Stars. Dallas, obviously a great run last year. A lot of success with Peter DeBoer. Ultimately losing to Vegas in the conference final. So you look at them and go, we have a good team. Had a lot of success. We have one of the best young goalies in hockey and Jake Ottinger. What can we do to get better, even though we don't have a whole lot of cap room? They saw Matt Duchesne was available after Nashville bought him out. And they signed him to a one-year, $3 million deal. I don't mind that. Duchesne is not as great as he once was. But he's playing in the same division as the Predators. I think he's going to be motivated. And he's also going to have an opportunity to compete for a Stanley Cup. So we saw it when Corey Perry got down to Dallas. He Everybody has that feel. They also had Craig Smith. Don't like as much, but whatever. The best players on Dallas remain the best players. Jason Robertson, my guy, stud. Rupe Hintz, 
Little Joe Pavelski, still delivering, the ageless wonder. Jamie Benn, Wyatt Johnson, who was a great, great player last year. They re-signed Dadnoff, Tyler Sagan is healthy, Mason Marchment, Maddox Faxa. The same cast of characters that got to a conference final last year. And a back end that has not changed. Superstar Miro Heiskanen, Ryan Suter, Hockey Panya, Essa Lindell, Niles Lundquist. They have some good players. They have some talent on this team, for sure. Dallas is a tough one because they're fast. They move the puck on the wings. They have some guys that can really win face-offs on this team. Great finishers. A good mix of toughness and skill. And you look, you look, you might look at them and go, well, there's the regular season team, but they get to a conference final last year. Duchesne's a solid piece. The only thing I, I look at Dallas, they're going to be a playoff team. I'm not worried about that. Can they get past where they were last year? Because I think Jamie Benn and Tyler Singen, while still good players, they're not great players anymore. They can't produce like they once did, and they take up roster spots, and they take up money that you'd like to spend elsewhere to improve your team. And sometimes you're cap-strung, and that's just the way it works. So Dallas could get the playoffs and go on another deep run. They're a playoff team for me, a lock. Another really good defenseman and another solid player up front would be what I'd look at for this team just to improve a little bit. I mean, you lose the six games to Vegas, That's there's no shame in that. They battled hard in that series. They did not give up by any means. But at the end of the day, you didn't win the series, and your goal is to win a Stanley Cup. You're in, in a mode now where Joe Pavelski gets older every year. Jamie Benn and Sagan get older every year. Duchesne's not a young man. So you have a veteran team with Jason Robertson and Hintz and Heiskanen who are all in the prime of their careers trying to get an Ottinger trying to get a win. Ottinger and Wedgwood is a great tandem, and Ottinger is one of the best young goalies in hockey. Dallas will be a good team. Peter DeBoer is a head coach. His teams get to the playoffs, and they normally have success. I like the Dallas Stars. They're not going anywhere. They're one of the best teams in this division. And I think they will finish second. I think they'll finish ahead of the team we talk about next, but I just that's who I had next to my paper. I think Dallas will finish second. Minnesota Wild. Another team, well, even even more in cap hell than the Dallas Stars. All that dead money on the books from Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi. Almost $15 million in dead cap. And you have to work around the edges. Not to mention they still have Marc-Andre Fleury on the books, which I'm sure hurts, but they have to deal with him. So they were they didn't do much. Patrick Maroon comes in and Marcus Johansson is added to the club. You still have Kirill the Thrill Kaprizov. They just re-signed Matt Zuccarello. 
Matt Hartman, Joel Eriksson Eck, Matthew Boldy, recently re-signed Marcus Foligno. Two names that I have just, I think could be breakout stars this year as youngsters. Marco Rossi, former first-rounder for Minnesota, who's spent a lot of time overseas, and he's played in the American League. He's from Austria, and at the time, I remember him playing at the World Juniors, because Marco Rossi's going to be a good player. His problem was he was really small. He wasn't strong enough, and he's coming to this camp, and he said he's put on 15 pounds of muscle this offseason. So he's still going to have that speed, but going to be a little bit tougher. I think he's going to start the season in the NHL, and that's what this team needs. They need more players to push through. They need him to be great. Or just to, if he could be their third line center, really start to produce, bring that element. Because Minnesota's issue the last number of years is you have one line that is great Kaprizov, Hartman, and Zuccarello. And after that, it gets thin. There isn't a whole lot of guys that are that are producing. Eric Sinek is hit and miss. I, I like the player a lot, but he goes through his struggles. You had Felino play at the bottom of the lineup with, with guys like Reeves throughout his time and different lines that just were crash and bang and try to kill you and everything. But you need a little more skill. Marco Rossi, Frederick Goudreau can provide that. The back end, Middleton, Spurgeon, Brodine, John Merrill, Kalen Addison, all returning. The other name to watch, Brock Faber. Former captain at the University of Minnesota. Another first-round pick who's done with college and he's coming to the NHL. Ken can play. He's got a good shot. He skates well. They expect big things from him. They expect him to be a good NHL player right away. Defensively, Brodeen's as good as it gets as a shutdown D. I love Middleton. He's just basic. He's simple. He's got a mustache like me. It's hard not to like a guy with a mustache. I heard that once. Read that in a book, maybe. Spurgeon's their captain. He's simple. This team's a, I give Bill, Bill Guerin credit. You buy out Suter and Prize's contracts, and normally you look at that and go, our team's going to stink. We have all that dead money. And he didn't sign those guys to those contracts. We so had just to deal with the fact that they were there. But he took it on the chin, and he's built a good team with limited resources. He can only do so much, but they're a perennial playoff team. They're a team that competes, but they are. I think they can only get so far with this group. Playoff team, absolutely. Philip Gustafson, Marc-Andre Fleury, a very good tandem. Now, gun to their head, if they had the answer, Minnesota wishes Marc-Andre Fleury was not on the books so that they could get a better player, but they won't talk about that. Nobody won't admit that because it's Marc-Andre Fleury and you have to kid gloves around him because he gets his feelings hurt or something. Or the goaltending community will get sad for him. Boo-hoo. But Minnesota's a good team. They're actually a really fun team to watch, too, because they have a perfect blend of just toughness and skill. But they're a playoff team. I think they'll finish third in the Central Division. First place, I have the Colorado Avalanche. A revamped Colorado Avalanche. 
They win the Stanley Cup. They go into last season. And it didn't go that well. You lose in the first round. And upset. You didn't have Gabe Landeskog for most of the season. And you're not going to have him for the entirety of this one. He's having a knee surgery that most players don't come back from. Mark Mathot talked about it on Overdrive this summer. So Gabe Landeskog may never play hockey again. The captain of the Avs. So knowing he's on LTIR allows you to use his money to get more talent. The first thing they did, I'd call it, they took some chances. Second chances program in Colorado. You take on a project in Jonathan Drouin. Pain in the ass in Tampa Bay, pain in the ass in Montreal. You take him and his skill and what he could be for a minimum and you'll see what he can do. He's slated to start the season on a line with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. So top line for Drew N. You take Ryan Johansson, the Nashville Predators. Guy was phenomenal in Columbus. Career in Nashville was not that successful. But Johansson gets traded. He gets to go on a team that has a chance to win a Stanley Cup. And he's a good center. And he's behind Nathan McKinnon. So he's going to be asked to be the second best center on this team. I like it. You make a trade with the Tampa Bay Lightning. They can't afford Ross Colton. You can. So you trade with Tampa, and then you sign Ross Colton to an extension. Colton's a very good player, good winger, add some depth that they did not have last year. How about this? Need some toughness, need some speed along the wings. Add Miles Wood from the New Jersey Devils. I like it. Miles Wood comes over. You add Logan O'Connor from the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have a good team. McKinnon, Rantanen, Arturi Lekkonen, Tatar, who they got for nothing. Nikushkin is back after all that drama last year in the postseason. He's returning to this team. You're without Landis Gog, but I truly believe that Colorado's a better team than they were last year. They're a better group. They're going to be better defensively. They're going to be more bought in. And everybody knows what the goal is. Win another Stanley Cup. Still have Kale McCarr. Devon Taves might be the best pairing in hockey. Bowen Byram, Josh Manson, not bad second pair. And Jack Johnson returns with Sammy Gerrard on the third pairing. Georgiev and Annanen, goaltending tandem for Colorado. I think the team's better than when it started last year. I like what Joe Sackett did in the offseason. He was aggressive. He got the pieces they thought they needed to be successful. And with these great teams, you need to take chances on $700,000 players. Truant could be a home run or he could be a bust. You just kind of have to wait and see what's his attitude, what's his approach, how he comes in and plays. All accounts, he's been good in training camp. Nikushkin's been on the right track. Johansson has never been really been a problem in his career. He just didn't really work out. But Colorado is absolutely a threat to win the Stanley Cup again. He, they got upset by Seattle in the first round. And I don't think they saw it coming. And Nathan McKinnon was pissed, and he wants to get back into the mold of competing for championships. They're in a difficult division because you have to play a lot of tricky teams. A lot of teams are going to be up for these games. 
but Colorado is above the rest. Nathan McKinnon, hard to argue. He's not the third best player in the sport, in my opinion, behind Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. He's that impressive, the way he skates, the way his tenacity, he brings all of that to the forefront. He's a champion. So you have one of the top three players in the sport. So you have Rantanen, who's incredible. Makar, who is the best defenseman. And Georgiev was good last year. He was not the problem. He was solid in the, in the playoffs. They couldn't score goals. He was very good. Yes, he might have been a backup in New York, and you might be concerned about that at the start of the year. He was not the issue. I even think he might have performed better than I expected him to. He was really solid for the Colorado Avalanche, so he comes back with Ananen in net. Like I said, the Central is tough. Central has a lot of teams that are built tough, that are going to play a certain way, and there'll be a tough out night in, night out. And you get Connor Bedard and you get Logan Cooley. So even with the bad teams, you have some names to watch and you have some names that excite you to turn the TV on. So that's a good thing for this division. We have one more divisional preview to come. That's the Pacific. Tomorrow's going to be a loaded show, so I don't know if we're going to get to it tomorrow. Because we're going to have to preview the NFL games, talk about the betting lines, talk college football. We're going to preview the divisional series in Major League Baseball. So that's a lot. We might save it for Monday with the NFL. We can always do it Tuesday as well. That'll come soon. I, I don't think it'll be tomorrow. It's because I don't think we'll be able to fit it in to the program. But we get we will get to the Pacific before the start of the season. I promise you that. And the top 10 players list will be coming next week. Now, speaking of the NFL, we have a game tonight. Chicago Bears coming off their 21-point meltdown to the Denver Broncos. Head to Washington to play the Commies tonight, otherwise known as the Washington football team, on a short week. No Jalen Johnson. No Eddie Jackson. Obviously, no Chase Claypool for the Chicago Bears tonight. He's a healthy scratch for the second straight game. Washington's a five-and-a-half-point home favorite. Washington looked great against the Eagles. That game took a lot of them, just like the Bears took the game took a lot of them. They both came down to the very last seconds. Obviously, Washington going into overtime. I do expect a game where the Bears are in it tonight. But they're not playing the Broncos defense, which is awful. you got Payne, Allen, Chase Young coming at that Bears offensive line, looking at Justin Fields. He needs to be using his legs. He needs to have more design runs if they're going to be successful tonight. And he made some great throws last week to DJ Moore and some throws on the run that made you think, well, this is why they like him as their quarterback. I just think that offensive line is not going to hold up. For some reason, I want to take the Bears. And I tell you to take the Bears plus five and a half. Because it's a Thursday night game and it's weird and something will happen. You think, well, the Bears have to win a game eventually. But do they really? 
Will they win a game? They don't have to, I guess. But Washington's a, a good team. They're not a great team. They're not an elite team. But they will compete all season long. I think they finish right around 500, competing for a wild card spot to the end in a very, very tough division. Give me the Washington football team tonight, minus 5.5. They get a home win. They improve to 3-2. and two. The Bears fall 2-0-5. Oh, other news around the NFL, Randy Gregory, if you know the name because he used to be a Dallas Cowboy, last offseason, so offseason of 2022, he left Denver and signed a five-year, $70 million contract with the Broncos. Well, since then, he's only played in 10 games. He's had some health issues, kind of always been a problem off the field even when he was in Dallas. So they cut him. Second season into a five-year, $70 million deal. Randy Gregory is now a free agent, signed, uh, free to sign anywhere. He has not been picked up yet. But obviously a massive mistake for the Broncos. They're admitting it publicly, saying they want to focus young, on young players. So see ya, Randy Gregory. Patriots. Same offseason, Chargers signed J.C. Jackson the corner who led the NFL in interceptions over the previous two years to a five-year $90 million contract. Since then, he's given up the third most yards by any corner in the NFL. He's got arrested in that time, missed a court date. He's he's had some problems. It was a healthy scratch the last two games. Well, on Wednesday, he was traded from the Chargers back to the Patriots. So J.C. Jackson with four years left on his deal is now a New England Patriot. And you're thinking, why take on that money? Why do this? Well, the Patriots rookie corner, Christian Gonzalez, who was playing fantastic, out for the season with a torn labrum. Brutal news for them. He was playing great. He was injured in the game against the Cowboys on Sunday. They also learned that Matthew Judon, their pass rusher who had 15 and a half sacks last year, torn bicep he's also done for the season so the strength of the Patriots their defense has been wounded JC Jackson comes in you might look around and go okay we like JC Jackson but no Matthew Judon hurt their team a lot he's going to try to come back this season but it's unlikely to happen so a tough day for the Patriots and I don't think many fans are happy that J.C. Jackson is back. But nevertheless, it's happened. Tomorrow, we're going to preview all the games coming up this weekend in the NFL. We're going to talk about the feature college football games. We will preview the American League and National League Divisional Series. Talk about any more cuts in, in, uh, in the NHL. A couple of youngsters still in camp for the Maple Leafs, Frazier Mitten, Easton Cowan. Do either of them make the team? Sounds like Frazier Mitten might now that Bill Nylander's back on the wing. That lasted a whole week. That, that experiment seemed to be quite successful. And any more fallout from the Blue Jays? Any breaking news? Like I said, I don't expect much. I don't think there'll be any firings. I don't think anything cataclysmic will happen. 
But that was embarrassing yesterday. And the world saw it. And the fans are pissed. So who knows? Oh, and here's something. Sounds like we're going to get a UFC event in Toronto in January. First pay-per-view of 2024 might be in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, featuring the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky, against Ilya Teporia for the featherweight belt. With another featherweight tilt on the card between Movsar Avalov, who's undefeated, and um, Noah, Max Holloway, and Allen. Lost to Allen. He beat Allen in his last fight. Which two featherweight tilts that I'm in on. Both really great fights. Oh, it's got UFC uh, event this week. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well. So we got a lot coming up tomorrow. A lot of stuff. Arnold Allen. That's his name. That was bothering me. Arnold Allen, Mobster Ivalov. Allen's lost one time in the UFC. Ivalov's undefeated. So that could be the co-main and then main event of a pay-per-view in Toronto in January to start the year. That sounds great. Also, Conor McGregor might be getting back in the USADA pool. I won't believe it till I see it. But again, he might be rendering, wanting to fight Michael Chandler in 2024. So who knows? But lots happening in all these sports. Lots of drama. Lots of intrigue. So we'll have a lot of a lot of stuff to get to tomorrow. Hope you all have a well actually before we do this, Andrew Marshan just tweeted this out. Cover sports media. The NFL pushed its TV networks to run free Taylor Swift movie promos this past weekend. The Post has learned. Really? You had to report that? They didn't show her enough or the stupid movie she's in? We knew this. She was on every damn second of the day of the game. Sorry, Swifties. But I'm sick of your girl. Give me the football. But that's today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow. Locked and loaded with content. Till then, take care. Stay safe. This is To The Point.